0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is a difficult passage. And um, I hope the Lord will help us as we go through this passage. But it's also a very needed passage. And I just pray the Lord would help me to make it clear today. Follow in your Bibles as I read, beginning in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might be exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do... I allow not, for what I would, that do I not, and what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, and the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of this passage. We thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you have released us from the power of the law. And also, Lord, we thank you that you've released us from the power of sin. And I pray that we might recognize that. Give us understanding today as we look through this passage. And I pray that there's anyone here who has never trusted Jesus as their Savior. Help them to realize their need of you today and bring them to faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what he did for them. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible makes it clear that every true believer a person who's put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, every true believer is in, is positionally in Christ. We were placed in Christ when we believed the gospel. And in Christ, we have various things spelled out to us in Scripture. I'll not read all these passages, but I'll give you the reference. In in Christ, we we are redeemed. Romans chapter 3, verse 24 in Christ we are reconciled, Second Corinthians five nineteen. In Christ we are saved, Second Timothy two ten. In Christ we are righteous, 1 Corinthians one thirty. In Christ we are accepted—that is accepted in the beloved. He tells us, Ephesians one six. In Christ we are not condemned, Romans eight verse one. In Christ, we're secure, Romans eight thirty-eight and 39, that passage that says nothing can separate us from the love of God, so we're secure. In Christ, we are a new creation, uh, 2 Corinthians cha- chapter 5, verse 17. In Christ, we are triumphant, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. And there are other things as well that we could mention, but all of these are ours because we are in Christ. So if you're not in Christ, you're not redeemed, you're not reconciled, you're not accepted, you are condemned, and all these things we could say. So it's very important to be in Christ, and we get in Christ when we trust Jesus as our Savior. As we saw last week, we are dead into sin when we know Jesus as our Savior, and therefore we are free from sin. Sin does not have to have dominion over us. In fact, it doesn't have dominion over us. And we are free from sin. We are victorious, and and uh, we're dead to sin. So dead should not have had no appeal to us. And we should we should not submit to sin because we are as Christians are dead unto sin. God wants every be, be, believer to realize that that our position in Christ it makes us uh, we, in a position such that we died with Christ, we were buried with Christ, and we rose with Christ. We are participants in his victory, his victory over sin. He died for us, he was buried for us, he rose for us, and when he did that for us, we actually were, we are identified with that. And so we died with him, we were buried with him, we rose with him. Uh, we are free from the power and dominion of sin, and we can know the results of that, experience the results of that when we do like chapter six told us, and we mentioned last week, and that is, we are to know our union with Christ. We are to, we are to um, reckon ourselves to be dead into sin and alive unto God. We're to count it as something that's true. God says it's true, and we're to reckon it to be true. We do not have to sin as a Christian. And then we're to yield unto God. So no reckon yield, chapter 6 tells us. God also wants us to know that we're free from the law. The law being that Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, we're free from that. We're not under sin anymore. In chapter 7, says we're dead to the law. In chapter 7, verse 6, it says we're delivered from the law. This is much-needed truth today because people are still confused about that. In Paul's day, it was needed truth because there were some called Judaizers. You remember they said they trusted Jesus as their Savior, and yet they wanted to put put people back under the law and wanted them to be circumcised. And if a Gentile got saved, they said, you can't really be what you should be unless you get circumcised. They were trying to put people back under the law. Other times they were trying to get them, you know, to participate in maybe some sacrifices and then observance of certain days, feast days and all of that. They tried to put the people back under law. The same is true today. And that is some Christian circles... Or some who claim to be Christian circles try to do the same thing. Uh, there's a, a certain organization that calls themselves Christian. It's the Seventh-day Adventists. And what do Seventh-day Adventists do? They tell you you should worship on the Sabbath day. That's law a that's law keeping. We're not to worship on the Sabbath day. We worship on the first day of the week. We're not under the law anymore. This is not the Christian Sabbath. This is not the Sabbath at all. Saturday is the Sabbath under the Old Testament law. We're not under the law. And we don't go to church on the Sabbath. We go to church on the first day of the week, the day Jesus rose from the grave. That group also says, if, you know, if you're really doing right, you should, be, uh, you should get to the place where you're a vegetarian. <laughs> Well, that's totally contrary to the Scripture. But then some people today, because they want to be under parts of the law, they'll go back to the Old Testament and find the dietary laws, and they'll tell us we should do that because the Old Testament says do that. I'm glad we're not under the law. I personally like pork. <laughs> you know, I like pork chops, and I like uh, uh, pulled pork, and you know I I like ham, and I, I like pork. But if I was under the law, if I was under the Jewish law, I would not be able to be eat, able to eat that. But some people like to put you back under that. But then there's some some, and even in our fundamental circles, who try to have a law observance. And I hope I don't step on any toes today. But um, some churches, and I love these people. I have no problem with them at all. I love them in Christ. But they say their women should not wear slacks. Why do they say that? They say that we should that, uh, that you, know, you shouldn't put on the apparel of somebody of, of the opposite sex. So uh, women shouldn't do that because men wear slacks. What they don't realize in the Old Testament, the men didn't wear slacks. <laughs> and in the Old Testament, the women didn't wear dresses like we know of dresses today. Uh, they wore robe type thing. And the, and the difference in those things were in detail. And it wasn't right for the man to, to dress like a woman. It wasn't right for the woman to dress like a man. But the point was that they should not. the men should not be acting feminine. It's the same thing we have today, cross-dressing and all that. That is wrong. <laughs> But see, we don't adopt those things because the law said it, and if you do, then you're putting yourself back under the law. And when you do that, you pick and choose, because those people uh, who are very sincere sometimes, they'll say, well, this is what the, the Old Testament says. They don't realize the Old Testament says a whole lot of other things about sacrifices that you're supposed to make and feast days you're supposed to keep and all those things and dietary laws. And if you're going to be under part of the law, you've got to be under all the law. In fact, I didn't mean to mention this, but the law cannot be separated. There's not a ceremonial part of the law and another part of the law. The law is the law, and it all goes together, and you can't take part of it and be under part of it and not under all all of it. It's all the law, and the good thing about it is we as Christians are not under the law. And chapter 7 tells us that. In this passage, it seems that Paul considers the law in relation to three categories of men. And we're going to look at those three categories of men. The first one is found in verses 1 to 6. And the second one is found in verses 7 through 13. And the last one is found in verses 14 to 25. And the first one seems to be the spiritual man. And then the second one is the unsaved man. And the third one is the carnal man. Now let's look at this as we try to go through the chapter. First of all, the law and the, in relation to the, the spiritual man. Verses 1 to 6. It tells us that before salvation, we were under the law. Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. So the law, he says, before we were saved, we were under the law in a sense. And then he illustrates it by marriage. And he says, if if a woman is married to a man and it's a bad marriage, you know, and he's hard to get along with, and she's sort of stuck. And the Bible says she's stuck, And but if the husband dies, she's released. She's free. And then the Lord uses that as, as to say this. When we, when we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we died to the law, death. Guess what happened? Death separated us from the law. And now we're free to marry another, and who is that? We're free to marry Christ. And so when a Christian trusts the Lord as their Savior, they're married to Christ, and they're no longer under the law. You can imagine a wife being married to a guy who told her, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. And if she did do something, you didn't do that right, you didn't do that right. Because you didn't do that right, I mean, I've met ladies who almost pulled their hair out because their husband's so hard to get along with. That's the law. The law tells us over and over, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. If you do this, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. The law is always negative. It's telling us what we shouldn't do, and if we do, what has to be done, and the law is, is at us. And and the Lord says, uh, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're like you get rid of that old husband. Why? Because you died. Death has separated you from the law. You've died to sin, you've died to the law, and therefore you're free from the law. And so he's talking about the believer, I believe, and what happened to him. And after salvation, we're free. We are dead to the law by the body of Christ, verse 4 says, that we should be married to another, and that is Jesus, and raised from the dead. Our death in Christ releases us from the marriage of the law, and we are free in Jesus Christ. Notice what it says in verse 6 after telling us what we were. It says this in verse 6, But now, but now, we are delivered from the law. Paul's talking about himself and other Christians. uh, You know, positionally, we we are delivered from the law. The saved person and the person who's spiritual and realizes his position in Christ is free and he produces fruit. He produces fruit for the Lord. The result is, verse 4 says, bring forth fruit unto God. And verse 6, we serve in the newness of the Spirit. So per- spiritual Christians do not serve God through, le- through legalism, a list of rules. We serve God because we love Him. And you know, there are some Christians, they're well-meaning, and uh, they really you know, seem to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. But they have this in their mind that they will become spiritual if they'll keep certain rules and regulations. You can keep all the rules and regulations that you want. You can say, you know, you only have to wear your hair in a certain way or you, you know, hair has to be cert- a certain length and all that, and you keep that law, and your clothes have to be such and such, and you keep that law, and you do this and you do that, and you can keep all those laws and not be spiritual at all. Because a truly spiritual person loves Jesus. We're married to him. And he's a wonderful spouse. He's a wonderful spouse. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's forgiving. He's loving. uh, He's kind. All those things about Jesus. He's a wonderful spouse. And we don't serve him because he has a list of laws for us. We serve him because we love him. And so we as Christians are not to be under the law in that sense. We don't, we don't look at it that way. We're not under the law. We're under grace, and we love the Lord, and we serve the Lord because we love Him. Now, that doesn't mean that a person who's a spiritual Christian is not going to do right. It doesn't mean he's not going to keep some regulations that the Lord, Lord gives him. No, it means he will do that because he loves Jesus. He'll do that because he loves Jesus and, and uh, his sp- our spouse is the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually and he's a wonderful spouse and we love him and he loves us and so we obey the Lord Jesus. So that's the spiritual person in verses 1 to 6. In Verses 7 through 13, it seems that he talks about the law and the unsaved man. And one reason we think that is because he uses the past tense. And uh, it's like what what it was, was like, what it was before we got saved. He's seemingly talking about the unsaved man. You see, we need to understand the law was never given to save anybody. Nobody is ever saved by keeping the law. God did not establish the Old Testament law so people could keep that law and therefore be saved. They couldn't keep it. They always failed. The law was not intended for that. The law was intended to show us how sinful we are and how holy God is and drive us to the Lord Jesus Christ. The law is not made to make us acceptable to God. The law is make, to make us realize we're not acceptable to God. Look at Galatians chapter 3, a good uh, summary of the, of the intent of the law. We find it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, beginning verse 21. He said, "Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For there had been a law, if for if there had been a law given which could have given given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed." Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So, the purpose of the law was what? It was our schoolmaster. The law told us, You're sinful. The law told us, Because you're sinful, you have to pay. Because you're sinful, there's a price. There's punishment coming because of that. That's what the law does. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And so after really seeing what the law says and all it tells us we have to do and how we fall short of that, it makes us realize, look, the law's not the answer. What is the answer? And the answer is Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. He never broke any of the law. He fulfilled it. He's the only one that ever did it. He fulfilled it completely. And because he's fulfilled it completely, now he takes upon himself on the cross of Calvary our sin, our breaking of the law, he takes that upon himself and he pays for it all. It's all paid for. It's finished. And therefore, he, he fulfilled the law and he says, now you are no longer under the law. You're under grace. And so what a wonderful blessing that the Lord gives us. Now, the past tense is used in verses 7 through 13. And it depicts Paul and us before we were saved. Let's notice some of the things it says that the law does. First of all, the law points out sin. Look at verse seven. What shall we then say? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nothing wrong with the law. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, "Thou shalt not covet." It's interesting that in the Greek language, though two words are exactly the same. Lust and covet, so I would not known lot to lust unless the law had said, "Don't lust," <laughs> and or "Don't covet." The law says that, so I wouldn't have known that. And so, the law points out sin; it shows us how sinful we are. It's interesting, also in verse eight. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in all, me, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Now we wonder what in the world is concupiscence, and I looked it up, and it's the same word. <laughs> It's the same word for lust and covet. So it brought in me all kinds of lust. The law tells me not to do something, so it it points out sin. And so law points out sin in people's lives. Another purpose of the law was the law provokes sin. Look at verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of lust or concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. What does the law do? It provokes sin. It's like this. You know, you tell a child not to do something, and what, what will they usually do? They'll try in some way to do it. I don't think they'll mind, but Alicia was here the other night. The other day, we're getting ready. We're out there, and we're talking about camp, I think, and I said, you know, I want you girls to make sure they don't get over there on that bank. It's, it goes off to a sharp drop. And the trustees just met Sunday, and we talked about that, uh, we, we're we going to put a fence up there so no kid can accidentally run over there and fall down that bank. Lo and behold, guess what the girls did? <laughs> they kept, And Alicia kept saying, come back here, come back here. And some of the little ones especially, they were getting over there as close as they could and looked down. What happened? Her law, don't do it, provoked them to do it. <laughs> Have you ever seen a wet paint sign and you touched it just to make sure if it was wet? <laughs> You know, the law tells us don't do something, and so we do it. And so, so it is with children, so it is with adults. Uh, s- telling somebody not to do something is sort of a challenge to go ahead and do it. And that's what the law does. It provokes a sin. Look at verse, verse 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Look at verse 11. Uh, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceive me. Taking occasion by the commandment. Taking occasion, I read a Greek scholar where it says it it means making a base of operations for. So sin, uh, the law seems to provoke people into sin. Don't do this, and when you find you can't do it, then they go ahead and try it and do it. The law also prescribes the punishment for sin. Look at verse 9, the last part of the verse. It says, sin revived and I died. The punishment for sin is what? Death. Look at verse 10. For the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. Look at verse 11, the last part of the verse. He deceived me and by it slew me. So what does the law do? It points out sin, it provokes sin, and it prescribes a punishment for sin, and that punishment is death. You see, the law never does reward for good, well behavior or good behavior. The law condemns because you didn't behave well. The purpose of the law is to do that. The law also portrays sin for what it really is. You see, when you... You know, something is wrong, and then there's something called the law of God that says this is wrong. Adultery is wrong. Lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. And when it says that, it portrays sin for what it really is. And we see that in verse 13. It says this. But but then that which is good made was that which is good made death unto me, God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Exceeding sinful, the law makes it so that we are we realize how bad we are. So it portrays sin for what it really is: it's exceeding sinful. You think about that, you think some things are maybe not so bad as others. But do you know the sin that plunged the whole human race into, into, into sin? They were born after that with a sin nature. One sin, what we would look at as a simple thing today. And that is God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of that fruit. That's all. He didn't say, don't commit adultery. Well, that wouldn't have worked. There wasn't anybody else there. He just said this, don't eat of that fruit. Now, today, when all the sins that are available, we think, well, that's a very small thing. Just don't do something that you're told not, you know, don't do something, and and we do it. And it was just eating, eating a fruit. That's all, just eating a fruit. But you see, all sin is rebellion against God. And all sin is very sinful, exceeding sinful, because... Anything against God is bad, really bad. And so God says, don't sin. And the law portrays, portrays sin for what it really is. So the unsaved man, what is he? still under that. In a sense that, that the, God tells him to do certain things, he doesn't do it, and God says, here's the punishment. The punishment's death. And so that's the condition of the sinful man under the law. There's no answer for him. But then notice the last part of the passage deals with something else, and that's the law and the carnal man. Now, the first part deals with the law and the spiritual man. He's a saved man. He listens to the Lord. He loves his new uh, spouse. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves him. He submits to him, and he brings forth fruit, brings forth spiritual fruit. But the carnal man is somebody else. He's a Christian. And Paul says, referring to himself, he says, I went through this stage in my life. I don't think this is the common thing for Paul's life. I believe it's probably a time in his life where he experienced this. And he said, uh, I am carnal. Now, the carnal means, I looked up a a well-known Greek scholar, and his definition of it was this. Carnal means having the nature of flesh, sensual, governed by human nature instead of the Spirit of God. Now, we all know what that is carnal. That means when you submit to the flesh, your sinful nature. That means when you know there's something you should be doing, but you have a lazy streak and you don't do it because you are lazy. That's sin. It means when you know there's something you shouldn't do, but you get just as close to that as you possibly can without doing it. (laughs) You're yielding to the flesh. And then finally it happens and you do that thing. Being fleshly means that uh, I know that I shouldn't uh, do this particular activity, but boy, it would be so much fun. And I know God tells me not to do this, but... Look at the fun those people are having. It might be drinking or whatever it might be, and you go ahead and you submit to that. What have you done? Well, you're a Christian and you know better, but the flesh, that sinful, sinful nature, wants you to do that and you give in. You yield to the flesh. That's the carnal man. Many Christians are carnal. They have died to sin, they've died to the law positionally, but they don't know it or they don't believe it. They say something like this. Preacher, I know I shouldn't have done that, but I tell you, the temptation was so strong, I just couldn't help it. That's not true. That's never true for the Christian. For you to say, I couldn't help it, yes, you could. Why could you? That particular sin that you were dealing with, that you you were tempted with, and that you succumbed to, that particular sin was paid for on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ. He paid the whole penalty for that, and you are not submissive to that sin. You're not subject to that sin. That sin has no power over you unless you let it have power over you. And God has said, you're dead to sin. You're dead to the law. You don't need to do those things. You don't have to do that. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And such temp- no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God will, with the temptation, also provide a way of escape because he is faithful. He will allow you to say no to that sin. And when you do that, it's be- not it wasn't because you couldn't help it. It wasn't because it was too hard. It was because you would not submit to the Lord and you would not yield to him. You yielded to the flesh, and that's the carnal man. Now, the carnal man has some things going on in his life. I want you to notice that. First of all, the carnal man sees that the law is good. Look at verse 16. If I then do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. I do something I shouldn't do, but I admit the law was right when it said not to do it. So the, the carnal man knows the law is good. The carnal man also wants to keep the law. Down inside, there's a struggle going on. He knows he want, he wants to do what's right. And verse eighteen says, "To to will is present with me. I want to. I want to do what's right." Verse twenty two, I delight in the law of the of God in the inward man, that that spiritual man. That uh, new creation in Christ Jesus, controlled by the Spirit of God, lives inside of us. We have a new nature. That new nature uh, tells me what to do. And I delight, I delight in the law of good, God. I want to do that. And so the carnal man wants to keep the law. But then also notice the carnal man does not know how to do right. Verse 18. How to perform that which is good I find not. So he's leaning toward the flesh and he says... I don't really know how to do what's right. Well, God tells us how to do what's right. No, reckon, yield. Verse chapter 6. Yield. Say no to the flesh, yes to God, and yield to him regardless of all the emotions that are going on inside of you. Yield to God and he will give you the victory. And so, but the carnal man recognizes a struggle uh, that's going on, and he he says, I don't know what, what to do. I don't know what is right. He really does, but he doesn't do it. The carnal man recognizes this struggle is between two natures. Look at verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But, but what I hate, that do I. I'm having a struggle inside. I know it's not right, but I, I see how it could be fun. I know it's not right, but Everybody else is doing it. And there's that struggle inside. Also, verse 19, he says this, For the good that I would, would I do not, and the evil which I would not, that I do. There's that struggle going on inside. The good that I would do, I end up not doing, and the evil that I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing that. There's that struggle. Look at verse 22. But I delight in the law of God after the inward man, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. So there's that struggle going on in his mind. The carnal man, what's he do? Well, he has this struggle going on, and he surrenders. He surrenders to the old nature. And it's happened to me. It's happened to you. You know something is wrong, but you do it anyway. Sometimes that happens on Sunday morning. You know it's time for church. You know I'll see some people there I love. But I'm oh goodness, it's raining outside. I had a hard day yesterday and everybody deserves a day of rest and uh I just believe I'll stay home today. I'm sure the preacher'll understand, I'm sure God understands, and yet inside you know I should go. <laughs> I won't feel any worse there than I do here. <laughs> I should go. And uh but you submit and you don't. And what happens? You surrender to the old nature. Verse 15 says, I am carnal, sold under sin. You see, he surrenders to the old nature because the carnal man seems to be intimidated by the old nature. You know, all of us have two natures. We have a new nature in Christ, and we have an old nature. And we'll not get rid of that old nature until we go to heaven. I met, I've known people for many years that believe this way, and that, it, that is they come to the place where they're sanctified holy, they say, and that means they no longer sin. I've never met anybody that no longer sins. But I did mer- meet a person one time who told me they were sanctified holy and they no longer sin. I disagreed with them. Guess what happened? They got mad at me. <laughs> what happened? They sinned. <laughs> Uh, you see, we won't get rid of the old nature until we go to heaven. But when we get to heaven, we'll get rid of the old nature. But until that time, we have that. But if you're a carnal person, you're a Christian, but you're, you know, you're submitting to the flesh, what is is? You're, you're being intimidated by the flesh. Let, let's notice that. Verse 15, I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 20, sin that dwelleth in me. Verse 28, bringing me into captivity. He is intimidated by his sin nature. Note in this passage, he mentions seven times his sin nature. He says, verse 14, I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 17, sin dwells in me. Verse 18, in my flesh dwells no good thing. Verse 20, sin dwelleth in me. Verse 21, evil is present with me. Verse 23, another law is in my members. Verse 23, of the law of sin, which is in my members. He mentions this old nature seven times, but he only mentions the new nature twice, and their are veiled comments. It's not real clear. He says this in verse 22, the inward man. Who is the inward man? The inward man is that new creation in Christ Jesus, the inward man. And then in verse 23, he says, the law in my mind. He's talking about I know better. I know I shouldn't do this. And there's a law in my mind. That's the new nature. But he only mentions the new nature twice, and he mentions the old nature seven times. He's intimidated by the old nature. We should not be intimidated by the old nature. We do not have to sin. God tells us that. We are free from that, and we are victorious because Jesus died for every sin we're tempted with. He died for that. Another interesting thing I found, and I found it in in Brother McLean's commentary on Romans, he said that in this passage from verse 7 through 25, the pronoun I is mentioned 30 times, the pronoun me is mentioned 12 times, my is mentioned four times, and myself is mentioned once, a total of 47 references to I, or me, myself what is that? That's a person depending on their self. (laughs) I can do it. I know I can resist this. I'm going to be determined I can do this. And even in non-Christian circles, they mention that. You go to a graduation service, what do they tell the kids? You can do anything you set your mind to. (laughs) Baloney. You can't do that. You can be anything you want to be. No, you can't. There's people... uh, among a group of teenagers that could never be a doctor. I mean, they don't have the the capabilities of doing that. That's just not the way they're gifted. There are people who could never uh, sing a solo in church and sing a great solo and it sound really good. Why? Because God didn't give them vocal cords. They can't do anything they want to do. You can do anything God wants you to do. You can do that. And so... But we're so many times we build up that ego, you know, say, you can do it. You can do it. And Paul was saying here, I went through that period of my life when I, 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 I. But then he cried out in the end. He said this, oh, wretched man that I am. There's when we start to have victory. We realize it's not me. I can't do anything. Oh, wretched man that I am. And then he said this, Not what shall deliver me, but who shall deliver me. And he said this, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And his answer is, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. My friend, we can't do anything without Jesus. As the song says, Without him I could do nothing. We can't do anything without Jesus. We can't resist sin without Jesus. We can't do anything without Him. And the reason we can have victory is because we're in Christ. We're in Christ. And so the Lord wants us to make sure that we understand that we are united with Him in death. When He died, we died. When He he was buried, we we were buried. When He arose, we arose. When we trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, all that goes to our account. He died for our sins. We are married to Jesus He's a wonderful spouse. He loves us, and we love him. And he'll help us. He'll be kind to us. He'll be good to us. He's the best spouse you can have, spiritually speaking. And we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of us. And as Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And God will allow you to do all things that he has in plan for you to do if you will just yield to the Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? We don't have to be a carnal person. We don't have to live with the the flesh calling the shots. We can be a spiritual person, but only as we yield to and submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we're not governed by rules as Christians. The rules are against us but we're governed by the Lord Jesus Christ, who the Bible says is for us. May God help us to live a victorious life, free from sin, free from the law. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to see this passage. And I pray, Lord, that we would get the gist of this passage and know that we can have victory in Christ. And the victory never comes through us, not through our determination, not through our skill, our ability, not through our strength, but victory comes through Jesus. And he can make everybody here that's a Christian, a victorious Christian. Help us to be that. We pray in Jesus' name.